This morning, I kind of put on here, and this was even before I knew exactly what all they had laid out for the worship songs this morning or how any of this was going to go. But I, I put this question as I was working on things this week, this question that I typed and put down is simply this, what season are you in? Because if you're like me, you feel like we're caught in, we know that we're in some season, and this season with everything that's going on in the world around us is, is different. There is something about it. And I don't know about you, I feel like on every side somebody's screaming at me and telling me how it ought to feel about what season we're in. And as I was thinking about that, I began to think about how when I was a kid, I know this is a weird place to go, but hang on for just a moment. One of my favorite things as a kid was on Saturday mornings, all the networks had their own lineup of cartoons, and man, I loved, I, my parents might sleep in on a Saturday, but as a kid, I didn't sleep in on a Saturday. I got up and began to watch the cartoons. But they were old even then, some of the ones, but my favorite, I was always a Bugs Bunny fan. And one of my favorites was, would start out something like this. There's multiple versions of this, but Elmer Fudd would be going through the, the woods with his gun in his hand, and he would be, it's wabbit season. And somewhere along the line, Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny would get Elmer Fudd in between them, and they would start arguing over, is it wabbit season or is it duck season? And they go back and forth and back and forth. And it would usually look something like this. And so I begin to think about that. Is anyone else confused with what season we're in? Is anyone? Because everybody's yelling at us, telling us how we ought to think and how we ought to interpret things. But it's not as duck season or rabbit season or I give up season. Our choice is, is it panic season or boldness season? And to me, that is something we've got to resolve ourselves to. I believe that it is boldness season. I believe it is time the church wakes up, gets up, and becomes the church of the living God again. And it's easy for us to say that. It's easy for us to say amen. But what that means is, is us as individuals has to start with individuals and then collectively the church will wake up. You know, who here believes that you are alive in this season for a reason? Let me see your hand. All right. Who here would go as far to say... That there is a call of God on your life. Maybe some of you have trouble with the idea of believing that you're called. Because the truth is, somewhere along the line, we got things out of balance. Somewhere along the line, we decided to turn this thing over to the professionals. Let's hire the right person. Let's pay them a salary. Let them go do those bold things so that I can sit here and just quietly participate. 
But that's not the concept that was expressed in Scripture. I'm going to be a little bold today, just so you know. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, the church is the body, and the body is made up of individuals, and each individual is supposed to be a minister of the gospel. That was the plan. That still is the plan. That has not changed. If you are redeemed, if you have the hope of Christ in your life, if you have been born again, guess what? There is a calling on your life. Now, all callings don't look the same. It's laid out there in the Scripture. Some pastors, some apostles, some preachers, some teachers. But we're all supposed to be ministers of this gospel. This morning, we're going to look at the words of this morning. As I was beginning to think through this thing, we're going to look at one young man that received a special call. And we're going to look at what God did in his life. What happened with his experience of being called? Because I think there's so much we can pull out of there in reference to ourselves. So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 4 and 5. Jeremiah's own words here, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now, how would you like for God to come say that to you? So how did Jeremiah respond to the call? He responded the same way we all do. Lord, not me. I can't because. Can you imagine if God, when he calls us, if he gave us a contract with spaces and blanks for us to put our excuses, we'd all, I mean, that'd be the first page we'd go to and we'd start writing out all our excuses. I can't. In Jeremiah's case, his main two excuses were this. I'm too young, and I can't speak. Now, Thea, I want you to look at this. I want you to look a little bit at Jeremiah's life. It's not that Jeremiah wasn't already a priest. Jeremiah was born into the tribe of, he was a Levite. He was born in the tribe of Levi. He was already a priest. He already had work that he was doing for the kingdom of God. And God comes along and calls him and says, I'm going to make you a prophet. This speaks to the nation. Whoa, I'm too young and I can't speak. And I thought about that, but you know what? Just because you were born in the tribe of Levi, just because you grew up in that culture and you were a priest and you got to walk around wearing the priestly robes didn't mean you had a public speaking ministry. There were things that needed to be cared for in the temple. There were, there were people that needed to manage the priestly robes and, and all the utensils. And I make every sure, because those, if, you, if you read through the requirements that God laid out, there was a lot too running the temple. So it's literally quite possible 
for him in his young life to have never, ever been called upon to stand in front of a group of people and speak. And God says, I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nation. So what did he do? I mean, because if he was shy, he might have never had to do it. But what does God say? God says, don't say, don't dare say, I am only a youth. See, we all, when God calls, we all have these great logical excuses. I mean, they make sense. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't speak well. I don't have any kind of position. I don't have any formal education. Or we can run down the list. We can think of a hundred things. And God says, forget about your excuses. What did Moses say? I mean, think about it. You look in Scripture. Everywhere you look, when God called somebody to do something special, they all had their excuses. Moses I mean, talk about a sit-up. If anybody's life was ever sit-up for the role that he was in, and the first thing he says, I can't speak. I love God's response. Who made your mouth? Peter, when he first had his encounter with Jesus. I mean, Jesus uses their boat, and they finish, and he says, all right, now go out and, uh, and cast your nets for a catch, you're like, we've done this all night, we're not getting it. And so God miraculously gives them a catch, and, and he comes up, and, and Peter himself, literally, if you read it, gets down on his face before Jesus and says, get away from me, because I am so unworthy. But yet God called him. Later on, Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Notice Moses. Notice Moses only ended up setting a whole nation free and standing up to Pharaoh in boldness. Peter, the man that was so scared, he denied knowing Christ three times, would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the message that 3,000 people got saved in that one message. See, God knows who he calls. And the truth is, None of us are good enough. That's the reason. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the purpose of the gospel is that we're not good enough, but God so loved us anyway that he sent a son to save us. And so we're all messed up. And it's all of our responsibility to spread this gospel. None of us are good enough. Jeremiah was just like us. He thought it was timidity season. He didn't realize that God was saying, no, it's boldness season. I love the next thing it says. He says to Jeremiah in verse 8. He says, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Here's what I want you to hold on to this morning. When God calls... It's never a mistake. So be bold. I mean, think when he calls us, we've got the backing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on our side, and he is with us, and we will be successful if we're just obedient and we will just follow what he tells us to do. First thing we do is we have to face the fear, we have to lay aside our excuses. 
Jeremiah was taken back when God called him. I mean, saying, this is the plan I have for you for your young life. And you can imagine from his point, yes, he was a priest, but can you imagine the overwhelming thought that he would have to deliver a message from God to the leaders of, of his religion and to the leaders of the nation that he was a part of? Talk about intimidating. Can you imagine having to go up to the high priest and say, uh, Mr. High Priest, sir, I think we're a little off course here. I know you're preaching this way, but you know God is actually saying this. So you can understand the intimidation. And God promised him, saying, you do it anyway, I will be with you. I will empower you. You will have what you need to get the job done. See, no matter what task God gives us in life, He promises to be with us and to help us accomplish it. We don't have to do it. You know, God doesn't come along and say, I'm calling you to do this. Good luck with that. Oh, it's not going to be comfortable. But if we walk in Him and we understand the power behind us, we can boldly press on. We must remember that we're never too young. We're never too old to begin using the things that God has given us in a meaningful way. But we all do it. You know what's usually the first thing that pops up? What will people think of me? What will they say? Will they respond? Will they reject me? Maybe somebody will hit me. Just like Jeremiah, we picture their faces and how they're going to respond. We say, oh, I can't do that. It scares me. Here's some good news for you. In our society, the word of God is not popular. His message is not welcome in many places. And if we yield to God's call, we will be like Jeremiah, talking, taking an unpopular message to unapproving faces. It is what it is. I do not, but I do not mean, it does not mean And I'm not talking about just the unchurched. I'm talking about people that profess to be believers. They will not like the truth when it's spoken to them. It's just where it is. I mean, it's you. Even sometimes believers will say to you, you'll be accused of being ignorant, you'll be accused of being hateful, you'll be accused of being narrow-minded, bigoted, unloving, and yes, even unchristlike. Isn't it amazing how those that have no clue who Christ is seem to know better than us what Christ-likeness is? Newsflash! Yes, Christ was loving, and He was forgiving, but He still called sin, sin. 
And even when it was a beautiful encounter with somebody else and he, helped, and he poured out his love on them and they saw the truth and they repented and they turned, guess what his parting words usually were? Now go and sin no more. Yeah. It wasn't, I saved you. Wash your feet. Just keep on doing what you've been doing. I got gotcha. you. That was not the way it was. Interesting to me how the hyper-tolerant claim that there are no absolutes except they're absolutely sure that we're wrong. So yes, we have some reason to fear their faces. But yet we have a greater reason to obey anyway. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Here's something that hit me. God is not in the habit of sending his people on kamikaze missions. He promises to be with. He promises to protect and to watch over. You know what? You know, let me give you a, a spiritual test. You know how you can test the spirit behind something? The enemy's kingdom is the one that's always interested in kamikaze missions. You want a simple test to test what's going on in the Middle East, who's right and who's wrong, which side uses kamikaze missions? The enemy loves to kill, steal, and destroy, and even if you're working for him, he has no problem with killing you. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. But so what? Even if it is the end of the world, even if he calls us to something that ultimately we're going to pay the price for, I don't know about you, I can't think of a better way to enter heaven. I mean, you, you have that glorious moment. God does something incredible. And maybe it does become, maybe that is your final moment that you're destined to have. Can you imagine the next scene and the welcome home that you have right in the midst of that home and the next moment, oh, I'm here, whoa. Did you see that? That was pretty cool. I thought of Stephen. Here's a guy that stood, and yes, he was stoned to death for it. But what an encounter. Think about that. We know that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and now is seated at the right hand of God. But if you read that story, as Peter is giving up his life for the cause of Christ, he sees a vision into heaven, and he doesn't see Jesus just sitting on the throne watching. He sees Jesus standing up. You know what I believe? I believe Jesus was seeing and watching what was going on with Stephen and how he was making a stand. And all of a sudden, as the moment was getting closer, Jesus himself came up out of his seat and said that's my boy come on home yeah. scripture says it was as if he fell asleep see even in that moment can you imagine the welcome home he got if it brought Jesus to his feet can you imagine what heaven was doing 
God desires us to grow in our trust for him. Here's the great news. He doesn't, yes, he called Jeremiah and said, I'm going to make you a prophet to the nation. But you know what? He doesn't start with that. He may tell us something he's going to do in the future, but he starts with small steps. Some of us knows if he gave us the whole picture, we'd run the other way. So he starts with smaller steps. For me, he was a pastor standing there as about... 19, 20 years old, and he stands in front of me, and he has, he's holding this Sunday school book in his hand, and he says, I've got a class of fifth and sixth grade boys that I need somebody to step in and to be an example for, and he holds out that book to me. I had never done anything like that in my life. But something in me said, that's not just him, that's me. And I took that book. Man, God blessed that. There are young men that were in that class that are still serving God today. They're doing incredible things for him. God used that and moved us into full-time children's ministry. And once again, what I'm saying is that again and again, he started with something small. And as I was faithful to that, he gave me more and more and more. If in that moment when that book was being held out, if he had shown me even this, I'd have had all the excuses just like anybody else. But the Lord is faithful. And he wants us to follow him he delights in his children he loves walking these journeys with us he loves being that friend that is closer than a brother he loves helping us through this and we learn more and we grow more and yes i hate being stretched i like it comfortable just like anybody else. And you go through a season like, woo, we kind of got it going on right now. And then all of a sudden he comes along and says, okay, time for the next lesson. And we hate it. I don't like it because that means I got to step out of my comfort zone. Lord, didn't the other 10 times I did that work? He said, yeah, that's why it's time for the next one. And I hate it. But yet I love it because it's in those times that he's closer than ever before. It's in those times that we see the greatest miracles. It's in those times that it's almost like we have the air of heaven and we call out, he answers. I was talking to Travis this morning that's back there helping us out in the children's area this morning. We were just kind of talking about some things and, and I began to tell kind of got into a couple of stories of some of the rough seasons that I've seen in my life, some of the real times of testing. But yet at the same time as I was talking to him, I said, but you know what? During those times, I saw some of the most incredible miracles that I've ever seen in my life when literally the gates of heaven were opened up and God performed a miracle in such an overwhelming, miraculous way that there was no way that it wasn't him. And if we never allow ourselves to be stretched, we will never experience those moments. 
So yes, I hate those times, but I love them at the same time. And when you step out of it on the other side and he's been with you through all that, there's just a, you're on a higher plateau. You're on a new level and you're saying, no, you know what? I hated every moment of that, but woo, I go through it again to get where I am now. See, he's a personal God. And it's during those times he's closer than ever. Jeremiah 1.9. Let's see what happens next. I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed this passage over myself. Remember he said, I can't speak. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Man, if that can't stir you a little bit. Because what do we are? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd say. Cool. Because that's when he can say, I got this. Have you ever had that moment where you're kind of cornered in a position, all of a sudden you get through laying things out, you're like, whoo, I don't know where that came from. I do. So we're going to talk about your words, my mouth. Because, well, that's always our biggest question. What do I say? Basically, God was saying kind of the same thing he said to Moses. Don't worry about it, Jeremiah. I made that mouth. I'll put my words in it. See, what he's saying was my mess, his message, Jeremiah's message came directly from the Lord. And he was all he was responsible for. This ought to be a freeing thought. All he was responsible for was just repeating what he was told. We make it so complicated. It's really not. His words, our mouths. Literally, Jeremiah's words would be God's words. Once convinced of this, here's the great part. Jeremiah never compromised. He never backed down. He never tried to change the meaning or alter the message to fit what would be pleasing to people's ears. And the truth is, you and I have a greater advantage than Jeremiah. Because the book has been written. We got the manual. The sacrifice has been made on our behalf. Jesus has come. We're clothed in his righteousness. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to empower us and to give us everything that we need to advance the gospel. In reality... Our excuses don't hold water. Psalms 81.10 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Not only will he give us the words, he will give us the sustenance we need to continue the advance. So worried about how's my family going to make it? How's this? You know, all these things. If we're obedient, that's, that's really all it takes is just being obedient. He's got the plan. You know, like Jeremiah, you and I, most of us, 
are fully aware of the final destination that what we see going on in the world around us is leading. It's leading to destruction. All there may be little parts of it that sound great, and you may say, oh, that'd be wonderful, but you have to look at the overall destination. What's the motive behind it? What's, what's the spirit behind it? Where is it taking us? And guess what? The further this nation runs away from the principles of God, the more dangerous it is. That's exactly what was going on in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah was called to deliver a message. And if you read the whole book, there's, 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 he, was, he was offering both judgment and hope. But in his case, it was mostly judgment. Why? Because of the direction of the nation. Israel had to be brought down. It had to be broken down so that it could be rebuilt more like God intended it to be. It had to happen. Matter of fact, it, the kingdom had been split between Israel and Judah, and, and, and Israel had already fallen. And that's where they were. It had already fallen. And now Judah was left, and they were following along the same pattern, headed the same way. Isn't it interesting how we think that somehow things are going to get better as a nation following the same pattern of the nations all around the world instead of standing up and being different like we're supposed to be? We understand the danger. That's why we have to not panic but be bold. Yes, we need to befriend those that are misguided. We need to lovingly show them a better way. They don't, those people did not want to hear Jeremiah's message, but it was out of love nonetheless. They may not want to hear your message, but love must compel us to tell the truth. Yes, it may look like, make you look like an idiot, But if the whole world's running towards a cliff and there's just a handful running the other way, the ones running the other way are right, but they look like idiots to the crowd. I love what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense of anyone who asks for the reason of your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, it doesn't say if you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, then it should be, if that is the will of God, then for doing evil. We're going to suffer in this world. I don't know you, I'd rather suffer it for doing something good and right. Oh, we may see faces of anger, but always remember, their body is really the vehicle of evil's expression. 
See, what, we, what I'm saying is this. We get so caught up in looking at the person and taking at the person. When somebody opposes you, it does no good to get angry at the individual. You have to understand the spirit driving that opposition. It's not the person. It's the spirit behind the person. And if they violently, venomously oppose you, it's not them as an individual. It's the spirit that because their, their influences in their life are forced in the wrong direction. And the only way to change that is not with a convincing argument. The way to change that is to change the spirit that's driving them. In other words, we're not going to win with arguments. We're going to win with the power of the Spirit. We're going to win with standing up, speaking the truth in love, letting the Holy Spirit do His work. And when the driver is changed in the Spirit, the attitudes on the outside will change. You may not like a lot of the things that are going on politically, as an example. How much time have you been spent praying for the opposition? You know what be the coolest thing that happened? Some of them somewhere have an encounter with the living Christ. And the spirit driving their motives is changed. The rest of it will take care of itself. That's why I'm convinced it's boldness season. See, only the word of God can do that empowered by his spirit. But how can they hear if nobody is willing to stand up and be bold and speak? Let's look at verse 10. I love this one. This one got so good to me. I'm about to bring this to a close. I love what God says to him next. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Think about that. What's he saying? Let's pluck up and let's plant. Let's get in that business. Let's start walking in the authority that God has given us. Just Jeremiah's message contains elements about judgment and all those things, and it was not popular. But he understood the destruction that the nation was headed towards. I already talked about how that's similar to today. Let's look, let's look next at verse 17. He says, Therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces lest I dismay you before them. I had this thought hit me as I was working on this. If we fear the faces that are before us more than we fear the face of God, we made them our idols. If how they respond to you is more important, if seeing a smile on their faces is more important than seeing God smile at you, you got a problem. 
And we need to let the reality of that sink in. That jolted me a little bit. That made me think, Lord, how many, how many things have I backed away from because I was concerned what somebody was going to think? Now, I'm not saying be rude and, and be mean and be all in your face and stuff. We read where Peter says to do it with gentleness and kindness. But sometimes there's a time to be bold. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will come on you and say, deal with this, deal with it now, and call it what it is. And that's what they need in that moment. Sometimes I've been in a situation where he says, well, the Holy Spirit literally said, hold your tongue for now. Just love them. There'll be a right time. But we have to be willing to take that bold step when the Holy Spirit says now. Think about that. We live in a time where boldness is required. When we go into spiritual warfare, we must know where our loyalties lie. We must know who our commander-in-chief is. We must understand our source of strength and how to use the weapons we've been given. Remember last week, the end of the message, I called for 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I asked for everybody to take at least one meal one day. I created 21 slots on the app to sign in and for people to claim. Literally, by the time we left church, ate lunch and went home, I was getting messages that all 21 spots had been taken. So I had to go in and open up some more. It wasn't long until... I got messages that, okay, there's a lot of days already blocked, so I opened up some more. You know what the good news is? We have the 21 days covered three times over. That's great. There's 14 days left. There's still spots. If you did not jump in on that, I challenge you to jump in on that now. Just go to the Church Center app that we have. All you have to do is press events down at the bottom, see the call to arms deal, claim your spot, and just when the time comes, you'll get an email confirming that. Just follow the instructions because there is something about when we get on our face before God as a people. Yes, I would love for the church to be full of people praying. And I understand right now people are a little shy from that. And I do want to say this. If you're at home and you're saying, I'm a little concerned about coming and being at service at the front, I want to invite you to come on anyway. Wear your mask because if you're wearing a mask, we'll give you your space. We promise. But we just want to see God's house full. There's something happened when we gather together in his name. Yes, I know you probably felt the Holy Spirit's presence as worship was taking place today. But I'm telling you, you can feel it more here. Two weeks ago, we sat at home and watched the service at home because neither one of us had a voice. It was great. But I could see what was happening. I was like, oh, I wish I was there. There is something about being in his presence and purpose, person, but we also can pray in our places. Let's get serious about interceding, doing something. Because in essence, what do we see all throughout Scripture? We see this cycle again and again and again that God's people live in a time of blessing and they get so comfortable with the blessing. They get so comfortable with the ease of life that they begin to make compromises. They begin to let stuff creep in and then God has to come along and take that blessing and say, okay, 
hey, I'm about to bring you into a time of judgment. I'm about to bring you in a time of difficulty so that now you will turn back and begin to seek my face again. And when they turn back and they seek his face, then all of a sudden the blessing comes back again. And if you read the history of Israel, it is that same cycle over and over and over again. And Jeremiah happened to be called at a time where the judgment was on its way. We've got to be people that are bold. It's time we take on boldness season and begin to see the victories. I love what he says here. If I can get the worship team to come. He says to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. That is the season we're in. We are children of the living God that are called by his power. He sent his son. His son gave his life for us. The Holy Spirit was sent to empower us to be his people and to walk in his authority and begin to do some things. And we've become too comfortable with the things going on around us. We've become too comfortable in the blessing and we've allowed the compromises to come in. What's the first thing he says? He said, it's time to pluck up. It's time to root out. And we're so good at looking at the garden of everybody else and what they need to pull up. And sometimes we forget the things that we've let take root in our life, in our home, in our situation. And we become too comfortable with those weeds in our garden, so to speak. And we just kind of look past them and we don't know them. And the time has come for us to say, you know what? I got to clean up my house a little bit. I got to clean up my garden a little bit. If I really want revival, I've got to get pulled, pluck up the weeds and get the things because I've let them take too much root. We've got to clean up. Then it says pull down. There are some things that we've let grow into absolute strongholds and it's time we begin to rise up and tear down the strongholds. The enemy's gained too much ground. And we look at those things and we think it's just the way it is. Well, I'm just going to kind of back over here. It's not panic season. It's boldness season. It's time to begin to declare some of those things destroyed and begin to pull them down in the spiritual realm. Begin to take authority and say, you know what? Enough, enough. That stronghold has stood too long. That compromise has been there too long. Then he says, destroy. There are long-standing things of the enemy that it's time we look up and we begin to say, kind of like the walls of Jericho, Lord, bring those things down. And when they fall, let's go in and take new ground. And when we take new ground, guess what? Let's begin to build new boundaries. Let's restore the old boundaries and the old markings. I'll never forget when we went to Israel went to this museum and they had this huge scale model I mean literally it's about the size of this sanctuary of Jerusalem's heyday and what it looked like I mean the buildings were about this big but it was spread I mean, you could see the wall you could see the original temple you could see all the stuff laid out it was like in the glory days of Israel and it was so interesting to look at and see where the boundaries used to be 
in the areas that have been compromised and lost that they still have not reclaimed as a nation. To see some of the walls that are still standing, but places where walls used to be that were torn down. It's time for us to say, you know what? Let's reclaim the lost territory. Let's restore the boundaries to where they used to be. Rebuild new walls, new barriers. And then I love how it brings it back to planting. You know, that's done if all of us would take up the call and get in the business of sowing seed. We've left that to the professionals for too long. And if we're honest, many of them are just trying to build their own kingdom. we get back into the seed scattering business you notice in the parable that Jesus told he didn't say now be sure the seed where you scatter the seed is good ground in the parable he told they were throwing it on the rocks they were throwing it on the path they were throwing it everywhere that they went some of it sprung up and didn't last long there was areas that it took root and grew and returned a hundredfold. It's time we get back and realize it's not panic season, it's boldness season. It's time we deal with the stuff. I'm going to ask them to begin to sing this song and, and it'd be so easy, it'd be so easy to just pray and say, you guys leave and go and think about this. But it's time. It's time to make some decisions. Some of you, when I talked about the roots that were in your own garden, you knew exactly what it was. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. And something in you wants to close up and tighten up and say, I don't want to deal with that. I like where it is. I'm going to leave it like that. But you know what? You can't keep going on like that. You've got to pull those things up. Yes, it's not going to be comfortable. You have to let go of some, of some pet things in your life. But the time has come that we begin to uproot of the, the wrong things in our own gardens. So that we're clean and God can actually use us. others of us we probably all have some of that I'll put it that way but we need to all say Lord help me begin to operate in the authority that you've given me and to begin to tear down some strongholds that have become much more than a weed in my life begin to pray down strongholds that have taken root in my family begin to pray down strongholds that have that have taking root in our community maybe even some strongholds that have been too long in the place in the church at some point we got to rise up and answer the call and be bold 
And so as they go into this song for a moment, I challenge you with everything in me. If the Holy Spirit has shown you something, and I know what you can say, well, what are people going to think? If I give up, they go, we wonder what kind of sin Who cares? If we're worried about people's faces, we're missing the boat. We've got to get bold. We've got to deal with stuff. And if that's you, I want you to come down and find a place on the altar. You know what's happening in your life. You know where you're at. And I'm asking you, I challenge you as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, deal with some things, uproot some things, begin to tear some things down, begin to respond and say, Lord, if you call, I will answer. Because the altar it is, you can walk out the same way that you came in. But if you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results. At some point, we have to become the living, breathing church of a holy God again. And it's time to decide. It's time to be bold. Come. Come on. Feel the rains of your Feel the winds of your spirit Now the heartbeat of heaven Let us hear We feel the rains of your love Feel the winds of your spirit But now the heartbeat of heaven Let us hear the altar before a living God Feel the rains Surrender. of your Feel the winds of your spirit And now the heartbeat of him Let us hear, let it rain Let it rain Open the floodgates of heaven Let it rain let it rain Won't you open the floodgates of heaven Come and let's fill the altars begin to ask God to move let it begin to change the atmosphere around us let us begin it it's time to be bold it's time to be bold you feel the rains of your love you feel the winds of your spirit and now the heartbeat of heaven let us hear Feel the rains of your love, feel the winds of your spirit, and now the heartbeat of heaven, let us hear, let it rain.
presence of your spirit now the heartbeat of him let us hear feel the rains of your love feel the winds of your spirit now the heartbeat of heaven let us hear feel the rains of your love feel the winds of your spirit now the heartbeat of heaven let us hear it on my tongue because the place where I'm at is in so much torment and yet we treat a glass of water like it's nothing many of us get to enjoy God's presence we get to enjoy blessings there's a world around us 
that is headed for a place where just a drop of what we have would be coveted. How can we just go on and not let a little boldness rise up in us? The time has come. If not now, what are we waiting for? How bad does it have to get before the church rises up and becomes the church? A lot of you raised your hand a little bit ago and say, I believe I'm here for this season and this time. Well, good, for what? Let's find that place. Let's be his hands and feet extended. When he speaks in his calls, say, yes, Lord, him I send me. Instead of, yes, Lord, send me up. They'd be good at that. need to change we need to press in we need to hear that heartbeat and answer to the heartbeat of God amen Lord Jesus I thank you for these people Lord I thank you for their hearts though we're all in this thing together Lord there's elements of this that we all deal with Lord, let us be a people that responds to your call, that rises up, and we let a little boldness come in. Lord, that you begin to move through and among us. Lord, and we become the light to the world. Lord, let us become that oasis where it rains in the presence of your spirit, even when the world around us is dry and dusty, that we're that oasis that people can come in and they can be fed and they can be quenched and they can walk out changed and transformed. Help us to rise up, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you all, I really do. None of that was meant in any kind of anger. It's just, we've got to go, guys. We've got to go. Let's do this. God bless. Love you.